Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. There is a great show for you today. Ten, top 10 books on apologetics. This is a great uh, interview that I had with Dr. Steve Blakemore, and I think you'll find a lot of very helpful resources for your own spiritual life as we seek to become defenders of the faith together, to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. You know, that comes from the little book of Jude. And you might have heard, but next week on July 4th, I am releasing my study of the book of Jude. It is a small group curriculum that's available for people. There are six sessions, so kind of like the idea is you'd walk through it in six weeks. There is um, more than six bonus pieces that come along with it where I go into more depth in certain passages. There's discussion guides. Altogether, more than five hours of content available for you as we go deeper into this book of Jude. You know, I, I think that a Christianity that is Jude-less is lacking. Because I think God put Jude in the canon for a reason. So if you want to uh, know about what's coming out with this Jude study called Contender, going deeper in the book of Jude, sign up for my email list. And there'll be a link below in the show notes, andymillerthe3rd.com. And if you sign up for my email list, you'll get news about that. So next week when it releases, the, only for that week, there will be sales available for that study. So I would love for you to, and we're going to make special deals available for those who are going to do it in a small group, those who will do it as a, for their whole church or even for a region. So we want that to be available to you and we're excited about that. I want to thank our sponsors um, who have come along to help me make this podcast happen. WPO Development is uh, has been with us from the very beginning, as has Bill Roberts, a financial planner. WPO Development, they do feasibility studies, capital campaigns and the like. They do great work. You'll find a link to them in my show notes. As with Bill Roberts, who's a financial planner who helps people really plan for retirement and use the money God's given them in a wonderful way so that they're being good stewards of those resources. So check them out in my show notes. Thanks to for their sponsorship. Now, on to today's podcast with Steve Blakemore, Top 10 Apologetic Books. Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. And today we have a special edition because we are combined with the... Thinking is good for you. Is it? Is it good for you? It is good for you. Very good for you. With Dr. Steve Blakemore. So we've combined podcasts podcasts today. So if you are a thinking is good for you person, encourage you to come and check out the More to the Story podcast with Andy Miller. And if you are interested in More to the Story podcast, I guarantee you, you will find it interesting to see Dr. Steve Blakemore's podcast. Both of these podcasts are brought to you by Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we are developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. And that happens in a variety of ways. We have lay initiatives, Masters of Arts, Masters of Divinity, Doctor of Ministry, and we even have just recently started a Bachelor's in Pastoral Ministry. So we would encourage you to participate in that. For instance, our own Dr. Steve Blakemore has taught in all three of those areas just in the last few months. Yes, indeed I have, and uh, enjoyed every bit of it. We have some really good students, and it's exciting to see their intellectual hunger because of their spiritual love for Jesus. It's just a beautiful thing. Absolutely. And, and Dr. Blakemore, you have been teaching here at Wesley Biblical Seminary for I'm finishing my 22nd year. Wow. And you are a professor of Christian thought. I am. Emphasizing and you're kind of leading our apologetics program, our philosophical theology classes as well, in addition to occasionally teaching things like preaching and pastoral ministry and the like, because you've also, you serve as a pastor right now and have served before you entered the academy full time. So, Yes, I I found it a very uh, beneficial thing to have been in full-time pastoral ministry after seminary, when I pursued two additional degrees, first of all, a Master of Arts degree at Wake Forest, 
I was a pastor of a growing church in Virginia, yeah. Wake Forest University, but dealing with that sort of secular world of religion and philosophy, being rooted and grounded in real people's real lives in the real world, yeah, and trying to help them understand the real gospel, it was very helpful. And then also, when I studied at the University of Tennessee, just strict secular philosophy, right, being rooted and grounded in, in the church actually made me a better thinker than almost any of my um, colleagues. Interesting. At least a more holistic thinker. Right. You're having to put it all together on yeah, a, I'm not a saying regular I w- basis. I'm not saying I was smarter right. than, than they are. That's that's for someone else to make that assessment. <laughs> but I did feel like I had a much more holistic view of uh, thinking and why it matters. And then if, if somebody is to come and study at Wesley Biblical Seminary, what they would see is like that holistic approach is something that matters. Like here, our philosophy teacher is also pastoring a church. And a variety of our professors here are serving local churches who are involved, like boots on the ground, ministry and work right here in the Jackson area. So... We're thankful to Wesley Biblical Seminary, which gives us an opportunity to share ideas like this. I also have an additional sponsor that comes through, and Bill Roberts, who's a financial planner. Our thanks to him for help making this podcast happen. You can find information for him in my show notes. Now, today, we are excited to bring to you the top 10, the top 10. Now, we didn't spend a long time on this. We had a little bit of arm wrestling to figure out what would be number one, two, and three, but we got there. Top 10 books on apologetics, and I am deferring because I want, and I'm going to learn a lot from this podcast. So, top 10 books on apologetics. Are you, are you okay with this list? Uh, well, you know, for the most part, unfortunately. <laughs> hey, my, we, not my books. We were limited. No, we were limited to the fact that we wanted to emphasize books for which we had our copies here yes, in, yes. The, in the seminary. And I have two or three that are in my library at home that I utilize regularly. So, other than that, I'm relatively satisfied with it. <laughs> so, we also, we're, we're not choosing them based upon just like which, which ones are the best dissertations or contributes the most to the academy, but what's our kind of criteria that you establish? Well, my thoughts is which are the, which are the most useful okay. for real people's real lives, real church members thinking deeply about the faith and learning how to address the sort of objections that unbelievers raise or even find um, answers for the kind of questions that arise within any thinking Christian's right, mind right. about these things. So I think that's a, that's a good criteria for us to understand. Like we're trying to get things that we hopefully, or we, we believe, will be useful to all the people who are listening to our podcast. And so we'll start. Number 10. Number 10 on the list is... The Beauty of the Infinite by David Bentley Hart. Steve, you want to tell us about this book? Well, this book is basically a real brain buster of a book. So So this kind of like almost moves outside of our criteria, but we wanted to get it in here. It's it's really good because um, what he wants to do is turn, turn a discussion of Christian truth away from simply factual evidence or doctrinal clarity or internal consistency. And he, as the subtitle says, he's talking about the aesthetics of Christian truth. He's showing how Christian claims about reality describe in the most beautiful way possible human existence and also help us understand why it is that we have these impulses toward beauty, toward goodness, and how even the impulse toward truth itself mm. is 
is a, an impulse toward the good and the beautiful. So is this moving in a direct? Okay, so obviously the good and the beautiful, thinking of Thomas Aquinas maybe with that type of idea, but then also like as we're thinking of this, like you mentioned things related to the moral law. We think about even fine-tuning yes. arguments, but he's trying to point to like uh, kind of maybe kind of the wonder of all of yes. this as drawing something to like what, what, what's he trying to pull us to? Like just a belief in God or is it the existence of morality? Well, no, he, what he's trying to do is talk about the reality of the truth of the Christian faith, not just belief in God in some generic sense, okay, okay. but belief in the Christian God who has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ and as Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. Um, all of those um, important um, prepositions. But instead of just trying to unpack it in a sort of blow-by-blow uh, -blow account, this objection, here's the answer, he just begins to lay out this rich tapestry of how does this help us see the real beauty of our of, of life and existence itself without and, and at the same time acknowledging the often ugly side of, of existence. And therefore, I think to elevate people's sense of wonderment mm. uh, about our very existence, because uh, as another book that we're going to um, discuss in a little while uh, by G.K. Chesterton, this whole idea of wonder right. is what has been lost. It's what has been lost in the 20th century, in especially in terms of Protestant uh, Christianity, right. Protestant evangelicalism, and Protestant mainlineism. The, I, just the wonder of our very existence. So yeah. that's, what, that's what Hart's book is about. But it, it, I choose it because it is rich to read. But you need to read it with a dictionary okay. beside your your ta your, de your chair when you're reading because he used a lot of big words. But if you can wade through it, uh, by the time you get through it, it really does offer a, a very um, expansive view of Christian truth. That's great. Now, going from like number 10 to number 9 maybe are the two polarities of that area. So we're going to throw in The Case for Christ, number 9. By Lee Strobel, which of course is a book of kind of like a journalist. This is probably when he. This is the first book that came out, The Case for Christ. Of course, he had the Case of series that's come out, the Case for Faith, the Case for Creation. Now he's a Case for Heaven that's come out recently, and I think there's a lot of work happening with that. Maybe in a movie. Of course, this has been made in a movie too, The Case for Christ. But as a journalist who came and investigated the claims of Christ, is very readable. He goes and and he doesn't assume to be the expert himself, though obviously he's like accumulated a lot of knowledge through the years, but goes and visits with, in this case, like New Testament historians or, yes. and yeah, anything else you want to, what, what do you want to say about Case for Christ? I kind well, of I just think it, it, I think it's a beautiful book because it has this, um, it has this testimonial quality to it. Yeah, yeah. And um, even the subtitle, A Journalist's Personal Investigation of the Evidence for Jesus. And Strobel, you know, would give his, give his testimony that he was not a believer at first. And he began to look at things, and then he traveled to investigate the evidence. But it's also, in terms of, in terms of usefulness and getting people into the issues, this book could be much higher on the list. Sure, that's but, right, yeah. But it, it may not delve as deeply into some things 
as some of the other books might. It's not as much of a, like, it's not a contribution to academic conversation. No. But it's more or less like going to those academic voices and then learning from them and putting it at a level that people can understand. I've, I've heard some wild stories about this book that, um, how it's been used to get for people to come to Christ. One person found it buried on the beach. <laughs> it was laying, it was on the beach, and it was like, uh, it was right there. They pulled it up and they started reading it and they came to faith because well, of see, that. That's an excellent metaphor. Okay. That it is buried. Oh, man. Because for most Christian people, the idea that there is a real reasonable. Let me right, not right, use, right. I don't want to use the word rational or use the word proof, but there is a reasonable case to be made for Christ. Right. To show that faith is not some blind commitment, but it right. is based on actual um, evidences that have to be interpreted one way or the other, so it's reasonable. And so the metaphor of it being buried in the sand is quite apropos. (laughs) I think that so many times Christians either bury their heads in the sand and pretend that all of these questions don't exist, or they don't realize that buried beneath their feet are resources within the Christian faith and by scholars and others like Lee Strobel to present to them this reality that, Hey, you don't have to be ashamed of what you believe. You don't have to be defensive about what you believe. You don't even have to be ultimately questioning about what you believe because there are evidences that show you how reasonable our faith really is. Right. I love it. This is great. We could just talk about this book for a long time. I'm going to jump to number eight. Now, we're going from a jur- we go from a philosopher to a journalist to a mathematician. Blaise Pascal's Ponsays. So, Steve, tell us why we would include this. Now, this, well, yeah, and how people could use this book. Well, first of all, let me say about Ponsays. In order to really read Ponsays well, you need to get a book by Peter Kraft, which I have a copy of at home, but I don't have it here. <laughs> but I have to mention this here. Okay. It's called Christianity for Modern Pagans. <laughs> And it's, a it's, a, it's basically a commentary on Pascal's pensées. Then the term pensées just means thoughts. Right, right. And it was published, I believe, if I recall, posthumously, because a journal of his right. musings were found. And the reason that it's so good is that Blaise Pascal actually begins with the deepest existential questions, the deepest questions about our existence, mm-hmm. about who are we, Why do we do the things we do? Why do we feel the way we do? What's the best explanation about the reality in which we find ourselves? Because Christian and human beings, basically, we wake up and we find ourselves in the middle of a reality, right? That's what happens. We're born into this world. Sooner or later, we become self-conscious. It's like waking up. And then we begin to say, whoa, what is all of this about? And so Ponce's in addition to Christianity for Modern Pagans, the commentary and application by Peter Kreeft, K-R-E-E-F-T, is, would, is a, gives a great contribution because of the sort of the internal quest for meaning and understanding of our lives right. that 
it presents to us. And I, I f one thing to do is that when you find this book, like, like Dr. Blakemore said, if you look at it, you'll see that there are just like little sections of like just thoughts that he was working on. It's not one comprehensive argument. But honestly, that's not a bad way to read. Like to be, it's actually very digestible to go through it. And, and you'll find in this book his famous wager and, and different ideas that have influenced people for years. So this, I mean, highly recommend this. This is number eight. I bet, by the way, I've actually been uh, starting to map out uh, a way to incorporate uh, Pascal's Pensees into a, into a, um, Year-long devotional. Oh, this sounds uh, great! Book. Oh man, uh, we need to work on this. Scripture reading and then some reflection on something in Pensees. It's 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 that rich to me. Coming to you soon from Wesley Biblical Seminary. <laughs> I hope so. Okay, so now we are on to seven. Number seven. Reason for the hope within. Edited by Michael Murray. This is a collection of essays. So yes. I this is one that you added. I didn't know about. So I want to learn about it from you right now. Okay. Reason. Why do I need this book? Reason for the hope within is a very good book because it is a collection of essays written by various scholars with expertise philosophically and theologically in various areas of question and issues related to the Christian faith. And so it's divided up in a sense so that um, you have um, the various chapters are, for instance, reasons for the hope within how do we answer in a postmodern world? Okay, what are all the theistic arguments, the arguments that are there for God's existence? Uh, how do we address things like um, God and evil and suffering? Yeah. But then there's one by uh, John O'Leary Hawthorne about the arguments for atheism. And then it just goes down like it's like 16 chapters ending with the authority of Scripture. And so it, it's very... It's very, it's very. It's almost packed. like a textbook. Would this yes. be a good textbook even for undergraduate? It'd be All a right. really good textbook for, for those kind of apologetic issues to okay. be unpacked. And these guys, the people that write in it, do a very good job, I think, of addressing things deeply, but in a way that's accessible to non-technical experts. Right. And there's some jargon in it, but. It's, it's limited. And I noticed this as a forward by Alvin Plantinga, who some might think of as like one of the greatest uh, philosophical yes. theologians of our time. And I'm sorry we don't have any of his books on our list, which we could we could But it might not have been the kind of the, the practical sort of value that we might have had. Um, give, give us a—what do you think with Alvin Plantinga? Should we, have, uh, should we give an honorable mention at least? Alvin Plantinga is a, um, is a very profound thinker. Um, a lot of times his— his argumentation, though, he's directed most of his argumentation toward the academy. Right, right. And to make, make it reasonable within the, the academy that belief in God is what he calls properly basic. Right, that it's, right. It's something that, uh, that has to be taken seriously. So a lot of his writing is, is quite philosophically dense. So that's the reason I normally don't include him in lists like this. But if you come to Wesley Biblical Seminary, you're going to read some Alvin yeah, Plantinga. I want read, you to you know. Will read, reformed you epistemology. Will read some things of him. Okay, so we have eight, nine, ten. So now we are on six. So we have, this is almost a placeholder for anything by the man, G.K. Chesterton's orthodoxy. So you might find my version of this, I don't have this single version, I have it combined with his book, Heretics. And I'm reading yeah. right now a kind of a collection of essays. I enjoy these too. But orthodoxy itself is a unique attempt, even within Chesterton, that I think is, has like a kind of cohesive argument. It's not just a series of 
kind of funny essays that are very philosophically driven. Yes. And but but you you mentioned it earlier. Wonder. This is kind of the the position he's wanting to put people in. Yes. Tell us about why why people should read this book. Well, first of all, I think people who would be in on your audience for the most part, and my audience as well. Uh, no doubt your audience is larger than mine, but mine is growing all the time. And Absolutely. Some, some of you folks need to help it grow faster. <laughs> but um, the um, it's a good thing to read Chesterton, first of all, because he's a Roman Catholic. Right. And so oftentimes Roman Catholic spirituality approaches questions in a distinct or different way from what you could call Protestant rational spirituality. But uh, Chesterton is not uh, non-intellectual. Right, right, right. But what he does is he's basically taking big questions about life, and he's also exploring hard questions about faith. And he does so in a way that at the end of it, you realize that Christian Orthodox faith is is cohesive, it holds together, it has what I call in, um, in apologetics classes explanatory power. Right. It helps us understand our lives, all by the same time elevating our sense of what it means to be human in the world. Hmm. And uh, so that's, that's why I think it's a great classic. Yes, um, yeah. For all of those reasons. That's great. So G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy. Okay. Moving on now to our next book. So we are at 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, and number 5. Oh, I'm so glad we were able to include this. Alistair McGrath's Narrative Apologetics. What is narrative apologetics? Why, why, why would we have to put that word in front of the apologetics? What does he do to help us understand that, Steve? Well, if, if you think about the way people address the question about their lives— what we always do is we end up trying to weave a story to explain our existence or to explain various features about our lives. Everybody's life is, in one sense or another, the expression of a story, right? Right, yeah. So, I mean, take, for instance, something like Darwinian evolution and natural selection. Well, while, that, while it sounds very unrelated to a narrative, it's actually a story about where did we come from? What do our lives mean? What kind of beings are we? Mm-hmm. It, there's a story embedded in it. And what McGrath does in this book is to talk about how you can, the importance of understanding in, a, in the fully orbed sense of the term, the true Christian narrative in, in Scripture. Mm. First of all, you understand that. And then you begin to learn how to share Scripture, not just by quoting the Bible and saying, well, this is what the Bible says, therefore it has to be true. Instead, sharing the, the, the essence of the Christian story or stories in the Bible and inviting people to discover their lives mm. mm-hmm. in the midst of those scriptural accounts. And therefore, that's why he means what he means by narrative apologetics. It's an apologetics that's instead of trying to answer this objection, right, that objection. Right, right, right. How do we help people look at their lives in terms of this comprehensive story that they got to tell themselves about how to explain their existence and the meaning of their lives and incorporate into it 
the the power of the scriptural narrative. So that right. that's why I, I think it's really helpful, especially for lay people. And then uh, last fall when I taught uh, uh, Foundations of Apologetics, the students really resonated with the usefulness of this book. I mean, there, there is some utility in a book of like 100 questions that are hard yeah. to answer. And, like, and going through that and seeing the way that people answer them or like the approach of like looking like a textbook, like the edited volume you yes. mentioned that walks through basic arguments for Christian faith, the re- problem of evil, you know, the multiple religions, what all this means. But this is a different approach because it's yes. emphasizing story, emphasizing scripture story. So I love that emphasis. And I think that that's like we're trying to present a holistic list that gives a, a little different way to think about the apologetics task. So here, here's, here's, here's gives you a little bit of flavor, too, for the, for the content. So he, introducing narrative apologetics. First section is, why do stories matter? Mm-hmm. Why facts are not enough? Narratives, intelligibility, and meaning. Then, what are the theological foundations of narrative apologetics? Then, how do you apply them practically? Um, and then, you get on down, it's the Christian story and the meaning of life. And then, developing narrative approaches to apologetics. So, it has this very practical last chapter yeah. uh, that you don't have to be um, someone with a master's degree or a, any sort of advanced degree to be able to benefit from this, and it'll, it'll enrich your life as someone just sharing uh, the gospel of Jesus day in and day out with people. Love it. That's great. Okay, we're coming down the list now. We're coming to number four, the, the classic book, and this is my old copy originally, when this was out, it was a dollar forty-five. That shows how <laughs> I, I can't remember where I found this. So I got this from a family member. Maybe I stole it from a family. No, I didn't steal it. But uh, "Mere Christianity" by C.S. Lewis. So we have to we have to have on our top ten list. We have to have a C.S. Lewis oh book. My, yes. Of course, a series of radio addresses that's maybe become one of the best read Christian books of our time. And it's just a, it's a, a you know something is a good book when you read it multiple times. And that's been the case of mere Christianity for me. And, you know, really kind of focusing in on the moral argument and then leading from that throughout the rest of the book, I just find it to be wonderfully helpful. Well, you're exactly right. I can't really add much to it. Um, And once again, the genius of Lewis's approach as an Anglican is going to be similar to the genius of Chesterton's approach as a Roman Catholic, okay, because they don't begin, they don't come at this as Protestant evangelicals, right? But they right. do Mere come to Christianity. They do come at, at people that believing in the inerrancy of Scripture and in the doctrine of the Trinity, right? Mm-hmm. And both of them actually emphasized in their own teachings about Christian faith the transformed life, a life of holiness, seeking after holiness. But the genius is it starts with. This it starts inwardly mm-hmm. with people's and says, okay, there are all just you're very active existing in the world. So the moral argument. Yeah. Why in the world is it that you have this intuition that there are some things that are just wrong? Right. Some things that are oblig- obligatory on us. Right. Where, where in the world does that come from? And then unpacking from there and starting from there outward rather than Oh, here are all the evidences for God and trying to argue inward. Right. right? So I think that's the, the genius of now it. You said in something interesting there. I'd love to just unpack it for a second, um, that Chesterton and Lewis were both uh, 
be inerrantist, so to speak. Now, they might not have used that, that word, but you, you think of them both as like claiming, you know, holding to a form of inerrancy. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, they would never have questioned the absolute, absolute unquestionable authority of Scripture mm. and believe that what the Scripture says is historical should be read as historical. Hence the true myth. Yes. Like and so, is having the truth. And so, so they might be willing to entertain hermeneutical questions about, okay, what books in the Bible have to be affirmed as clearly historical? Right. So they may, may, may be willing to entertain, for instance, that the book of Job is not a biography. Right, not, maybe not a historical. But is, is a kind of true theological um, parable right. in expanded form. And some people get really uncomfortable with that. But that's not denying that the book of Job is true. Right. It's just, it's just saying we have to understand this book for what it is. Right, what it's claiming and it, to do. And it fits into the rest of the authoritative canon. Right. So what is its place? So, but I, I believe that there's no doubt that they would, have, they would have affirmed in the same way that Wesley Biblical Seminary affirms the doctrine of inerrancy. Right. To be an absolute essential, that there are no errors in Scripture that would lead us astray from finding God, finding the truth about what God has done in the world to reveal himself, finding the truth about our own lives and the truth about uh, the destiny of our lives mm -hmm, in Christ. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason I, I contend that they were committed to something. Well, I use the term inerrancy. Yeah, yeah, no, it's. I, I like. I just wanted to. I wanted to pull that out of you a little bit. I think that's a helpful piece because we can look back and we can look at people have written on John Wesley in the same way to think about the kind of inerrancy type of claims that yeah. he makes as well. And I think they're valid. I think it's good for us to talk through that. Um, we can use that term now, and we we point back to the Chicago statement that happened in the late seventies. And not that that's perfect in itself, but that's what we're thinking of. And we stand with a host of other people yeah. and other institutions that affirm that. And also. Great authors like this. Yes, exactly. All right. So I'm, I'm going to move on, even though it's kind of hard. To, I kind of like to camp out there for a while. So I'm glad glad we're able to throw in William Lane Craig. I think one of the premier apologists of our time. I, you know, just as somebody who is uh, a kind of a Renaissance man in philosophy and theology, but I, I've even heard him give a talk to kind of just a, a regular liberal arts community. Just challenging people to think better about their faith and how they go about yes. teaching biology and the like. But anyhow, reasonable faith, Christian truth, and apologetics. This is the third edition by William Lane Craig. And this is somebody you know and has worked with. So tell us, why, why should people get this book? Well, first of all, um, Bill Craig is the, um, is the, um, he is the premier philosophical apologist uh, of the late 20th and early 21st century. There's no doubt about it. Right. This book is very thorough. It's very deep. And, and it's very expansive, giving philosophical and historical arguments, philosophical and historical arguments for how Christian faith is absolutely reasonable. It's rationally coherent, and it's rationally defensible. Um, it is a little bit thick at places. So he has a he has a uh, a sort of um, layperson's right. layperson's version of the same arguments, and he entitled that book "On Guard," right? Like O N G U A R D, like as you begin to fence but, with somebody right. on guard. So, 
And there's um, even a student's version of On Guard. I mean, this yes. is, and this has become the rallying cry of his whole even organization. It's called Reasonable Faith. Yes. And so you might, you know, that might be a great podcast to subscribe to, too. Like he has a lot of great things that he offers from those resources. And honestly, like one of the things that I love about him, too, is he is just great in a debate. It's yes. just like, you, you know, you think about this like a sports analogy. If you had to put somebody up one-on-one you'd choose michael jordan a yeah. certain day or you had like a musician who's going to play something perfectly like if, i don't know maybe there's somebody that you know of i but if you had to put somebody up in front of the world to contend for the faith william well, yeah, Lane Craig's my anything guy. better i will say one other thing about yeah. uh craig he is a deeply devout and spiritual man okay deeply devout and spiritual i had him here oh gosh it's been 12 years ago, maybe 13 years ago, to do um, a, a debate and uh, two or three lectures in conjunction with Millsaps College. Yeah. And uh, one, one night uh, we were there, and um, this young man came to me who was an atheist and told me, since I was the sponsor of the event, that um, this, this presentation that he had heard, he said, I really have to rethink my atheism completely. I've wow. been really captured by this. So I shared that with, um, with Craig uh, uh, when we went out for dinner. And uh, he got choked up. Mm. He said, it's worth the whole trip to me. Amen. If this one young man could, fu- could, this could help him take a step toward finding Christ. Wow. So that was powerful. Kind of sent chills up my spine when yeah, he said it. Yeah, even as you're saying it to me now. Yeah. yeah, it's great. So anyway, just wanted to I just wanted to uh, give him his props. Yeah, and you know, he emphasizes that too. You know, I've I've heard his testimony himself multiple times, and he emphasizes in his own work the importance of even crafting and ensuring you have your testimony ready in an apologetics way. Yes. Okay, so we're getting to number two and one, which are the same author. But before we do that, I want to encourage people, particularly maybe some folks from Dr. Blakemore's uh, podcast that are interested in mine. Here's what can happen. If you are interested in a free resource I have available, it is five steps, five steps to deeper preaching and teaching, and it's a PDF document and a 45-minute teaching that's available. If you sign up for my email list, I will send you this for free. So go to andymillerthe3rd.com. That's andymillerii.com. I would love to send this your way. Do you want to say anything before we get to number two and one? No, just uh, you need to do what he said. Um, <laughs> So you need to take advantage of that because Andy's a great preacher. Well, thanks for saying so. All right. So now we are at number two and one. It's the same author, and we only have number two here, but your number one resource we didn't have available. I wanted to be able to hold something up. Okay. So that's how we, so tell us about these books. Okay, number number two. This is by P- Peter Kraft, who again is a Roman Catholic okay. apologist. He's a Roman Catholic philosopher, actually, uh, from whom I have learned immense amounts and with whom I have some serious doctrinal disagreements but nothing that touches the essence of the faith right as a matter of fact let me say this about Craig before I tell you about this book Um, in this book he actually mentions this but I've heard him speak before and when people would raise the question they say Dr. Craig what in the world are we supposed to do to try to help change the world to try to save the world from all of the falsehood that's out there. Yeah, what do you say? And his answer is, you need to become a saint. Hmm. You need to become holy wow. in your life. You need to be formed into the image of Jesus Christ fully. Hmm. And this is coming from a 
guy who could be a brain buster philosopher if he wants to, when he wants to be. So the refuta a refutation of moral relativism, I recommend this book highly because it addresses the rejection of not only Christian morality, but the idea that morality has any absolute universal grounding and foundation. Mm -hmm. In the instead, and it's a it's a way, it's a it's a way to understand the arguments from 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 moral relativists who say there's no such thing as absolute morality. Right. But at, and it's set up as a series of interviews. Right. Between right, right, right. A, a a journalist a woman who is an atheist or agnostic and and actually a muslim interesting uh, believer and i don't want to give too much away but um, it's set up in like a series of interviews maybe like 10 interviews that they were they were to to have had um, on some cottage on Martha's vineyard uh, but you got get this and it's set up like a play it reads like a play Libby and Isa is his okay, name. Okay, okay. And so Libby says this, Isa says this, and you get this back and forth between them. And uh, it's just, it's an engaging read. And if you're reading, ready to take notes, you're going to see a good apologetic process unfold, especially in the question of morality. Because where do, where do so many questions about the truth of Christianity arise, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. especially in our right, world. Right. What do you mean homosexuality is a sin? Yes, yes. What do you mean? Who are you? Who are you yeah, to say this, this person? Decision? Right. And so it, I, I recommend the book highly because it gives us a step into what is usually the beginning point right. for Christians in discussion with either led astray Christians or non-believers right and, and it's very readable and it's it, it's very engageable and it's actually quite humorous at points so i recommend that one highly that's great i mean in moral relativism this i mean this is a matter of our time i mean this is something that's cut in our faces every, every day single so day. i think it's helpful to have that now you recommend then our number one resource is peter kreft's as well and it is his handbook tell us about that it's called the handbook for christian apologetics and I don't recommend it because it's necessarily the most absolutely beautifully well-written one, although I think it's very well-written. Okay. But I, I recommend it because it is really set up to be a handbook. And, and you can, it has a quick reference guide in okay. the front. And it, so it lists, it starts out with the 20 arguments for the existence of God. And then it goes through multiple pages of those. And then it talks about, the historical reality of the resurrection. Right, right. Why Jesus instead of some other religion? So it, it's, it's a, an easy reference book, but it also, it also will expose you very thoroughly to a host of questions and answers and issues that will give you some real ammunition and it's the kind of go-to resource as a pastor if someone comes and asks you a question and you say, well, I'll get back to you tomorrow or this afternoon. Boom, you go and you open the book and you can, you can usually find um, an answer. So I recommend it as number one because of its usability. Right, it's, right. It's, it's not as thorough as something like reasonable faith, but it is immensely more usable and immediately accessible. 
There we go. So we will have links for all of these in our show notes. You can find that. And also you can find resources to the things that we've talked about here at Wesley Biblical Seminary. If this has been an interesting podcast to you, you might be interested in audience classes that we offer in apologetics or even coming for our Masters of Arts in apologetics. Just want to throw it out there. That, is, that might be something you'd be interested in doing. Thank you so much for coming along to the More to Story podcast and the... Thinking is good for you. And you can find that on YouTube. Where else Where else can you find that? Uh, well, you can, you can access it um, very easily uh, through Rumble. Okay. And also through the John and Charles Wesley Center YouTube channel. Okay. So you can find these resources. It'd be great for you to check that out. My listeners, go do it right now. And... We don't mind it if you shared a link to this. If you take, took a, uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, share it with some friends, share it on your social media feed. I think that will help spread this message. Thanks so much for coming along to these, this dual podcast today with Andy Miller and Steve Blakemore. God bless you. <laughs>